Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Kelly Walchick, CEO of Intentionally. Intentionally is a well-known marketing firm within the advisor and fintech space that helps basically companies market themselves effectively and get results. And with that, here's my interview with Kelly. Kelly, thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, my pleasure. So Kelly Walchick of Intentionally, tell us about Intentionally. Yeah, absolutely. I spent 10 years as a CMO of two of the fastest growing fintechs in the space, eMoney Advisor and Orion. And along my journey, I realized that this industry was plagued with a lot of terrible advice around how marketing should be deployed in your business. From fintechs to advisory firms to asset managers, everybody was sort of being told that it could be scalable and canned and templated. And I just sort of decided during the pandemic, I think when everybody was reevaluating what they were doing with their lives, that I wanted to build a firm that could turn that around for this industry and help firms deploy modern marketing to generate revenue, turn their marketing efforts into rent revenue generating activities. Excellent. So vital component that we're all too often just do not get involved with early enough because everybody's just too busy on making the thing, right? Like most people didn't get into a business to market it. They got into a business to do the thing that they wanted to build, to right. build the thing they wanted to build or to do the thing they wanted to do. Okay. So you told me about your your history briefly. Uh, care to go a little bit more detail on what you saw, like what was not happening that you saw as the gap that led to the creation of Intentionally? Yeah, it's interesting. So both in the cases of eMoney and Orion, I was lucky enough in both cases to build the teams from one to, to 35 or 40 people. And throughout that journey, I was always filling in gaps, whether it be skill sets or capacity with agencies. And what I found was, and I, I don't mean this to sound like a jerk, but we end up, always ended up redoing the work ourselves because at the end of the day, this industry is really nuanced and you have to understand all the context around the businesses that you're supporting and not just that business, but the competitive landscape and the way that it plays with other businesses within the ecosystem. And you also need to have an understanding of how certain things play with every other marketing effort that you have. It's not just okay to create a content strategy in a vacuum. You have to have it tied to everything else you're doing. So so I just found that all of the outside help that we were getting in the agencies while they they could create beautiful work, it was always a situation where it ended up being more work for our team internally. So I felt really compelled to create a company that everyone in it had really strong industry context, understood the competitive landscape, understood the inner workings of each of the firms, and understood how everything needed to be connected. and that wasn't an agency that was going to create things, throw them over the wall and say, good luck implementing them. We're going to be in it with you and we're going to work alongside you to get the results that you're going for. Well, I mean, it's actually, it's, it's not surprising, right? You had a bunch of people who are native to marketing, but not native to the industry. And you asked them to do work. And then the first thing they got to do is educate themselves for, let's call it five to 10 minutes on what this thing is. And it's not surprising they missed the mark, right? Like, you know, right. having that kind of very domain specific knowledge when you then go to do the functional thing is vital. I mean, I find the same thing in talking to some of the VCs, research associates, that's right. Like they call me for to vet a software and it's like, no, 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 no. Your entire premise for the industry is completely wrong. Let's start from square one. Right. And it's, it's really hard when you're not living in this. And we've talked enough off air that, you know, just about various companies we've dealt with or, or know that <laughs> it's a small ecosystem, right? You can, if you live in it, you get, you get to know almost all the major players pretty quickly. Right. You're absolutely right. It's so interesting. I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of marketers over the last couple of years, right? And the one thing that I'm always weary of is when they say, when I say to them, you know what, this is a really nuanced industry. 
There's a lot of complexity to what we're doing. And how do you feel about that? How are you going to overcome that? And if they say to me, if I'm a good marketer, I can learn anything and do anything. I'm always like, hmm, mm-hmm. yes, yes, but... And and listen, that is the case in some cases, but such a small percentage. Like It really does matter if you live and breathe the space. Yeah. People who make the Olympics for track and field don't all make the decathlon. Um, you know, like... <laughs> exactly. The, yeah. You know, especially, and it's the same argument around advisor market, you know, or targeting marketing, essentially in that you're better as a niche player than you are trying to service everybody because of that specific knowledge. Okay. So basically we've, we've gone over what your secret sauce is. So let's talk about it getting deployed. So I am a early stage growing FinTech, like some of the ones we know in common. And I yeah. come to you and I say, listen, I need to grow. What is the, what are you going to do to help me do that? Yeah, that's a good question. So Sitting in the seat that I have now, it's interesting. I, I do have a very wide view of everything that's going on in the industry. And that's one of the things that I love most about my job. So I am particular about the firms that we work with. We we do a pretty in-depth review of the companies before we agree to market them because they have to have a couple of things, right? They have to have a good story. They have to know their competitive advantages or, or differentiators. And they have to understand the landscape. I can't tell you, and I, I actually just wrote a blog about this or a paper about this, but I can't tell you how many firms come to us and say, "My, I'm building this technology. It is so awesome. It's going to change the way advisors work. Take a look at it. And I'm like, I saw five firms doing the exact same thing in the last three weeks. So it's sort of blowing my mind how little founders and leaders are sort of inspecting the world around them and understanding what they're up against. So I do go pretty in depth in that area to make sure that it's worth our team's effort. Yeah. I got a bit of a smirk on my face because like I experience that all the time. The number of times like people come out to me, come come to me and say, listen, I've got this new thing I'm working on because everything else is trash or doesn't exist. And it's one of two things. Like I had one, unfortunately, about a month ago where it's like, what are you talking about? There's two dozen vendors doing this here. It's on Kitsis's like, he's got a section dedicated to this. Like it's, you know, it's mind blowing sometimes. And sometimes it's just like, you know, when they look at that, they're like, oh, geez, okay. Not only is my idea already taken, it was taken 20 years ago. <laughs> so much run with. Right. Strange. And then, and then the other one is, is that I will say the more dangerous one is, and I think you're going to find this over time too, is you're going to start to see the graveyard of the bad ideas. And that's people will come to you and say that this is a great idea no one's doing this. And the response will be, no, no, no. This has been tried 20 times over the last 10 years. Everyone failed. There's a reason for it. Yes. I do have a soft spot for innovative things though. I will tell you, I have a lot of firms that come to me and they have innovative new ideas and maybe they're not in it for the long haul. We'll see. We've got some of these we're working with today that we'll see if they they make it and if it, if it works out. But I do have a soft spot for for founders who are at least thinking outside of the box and trying to do something different, whether it's something that's going to land well or not. But you're right. I mean, I think it's a huge red flag. I think it's a huge red flag when people don't know the competitive landscape. So I do try to steer away from companies that don't. And just so you know, I also have a husband who runs a $9 billion RAA in Conshohock in Pennsylvania. So I use him as my secret weapon too. I have him test out technologies. I have him demo technologies. I have him have conversations with a lot of the firms that come to me to ask for work because I do, he thinks about things differently than I do. He asks different questions. He thinks about it in the context of his business where I think about it more from the the messaging and the marketing angle and what will what will hit home. So he also is a real big help to me as I go through and, and try to choose which firms to support. 
is a perfect combination. You literally had the practitioner in-house <laughs> just at scale who probably gets pitched everything before you do at this point. <laughs> he does. He does. He does come to me and tell me when things are really cool and when I should help them with their marketing. So we do have a little bit of that. As you can imagine, our dinner table conversations are, I was going to say interesting, but actually probably boring. <laughs> Depends on who's at dinner with you. That's yeah. what it comes down to, right? Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> your yes. kids are like, probably telling you to stop already because work is over, but everybody in the industry would think it's awesome. Okay. So you're very selective. You make sure that they actually understand what they're doing, where the spot is in the market. What's the next step from there when you say, okay, I think you're you're someone I can work with. Yeah. The next step is, I think we've realized, you know, we've done this enough times and made enough mistakes to realize that you can't start in the middle. We try for the most part to just make sure that the brand is solid and that the messaging is going to nail it. We spend a lot of time helping firms pick their spot there's 57 TAMPs out there. So if you're going to come to me and say you're an amazing TAMP, we got to figure out how how you're setting yourself apart. Same thing with goes for every other type of technology and advisory firms too. We spend a lot of time with advisors, pushing them to tell a better story, to get more personal, to dig a little deeper. So we make sure that we have a story that we can work with because at the end of the day, we can't create campaigns. We can't drive opportunities. We can't create an interest if there if there's not a story there to be told. Well, absolutely. And too often the story is very broad, right? I'm sure they all start off, especially advisory firms will start off with the, well, you know, we really care about our clients. It's like, that's nice. I think everybody should. And <laughs> yeah. that's that's table stakes for being a good one. Now tell me how that manifests itself into actual action. It's like, yeah, it's amazing yeah. how many times we have that conversation. It really is. But yep, spot on. Well, I mean, it's, you know, you go, you're so busy when you start off just trying to survive that sometimes you just don't craft that story, right? And sometimes you have to sit back and go, okay, looking back at it, this is what the story actually is. All right. So they have, let's just say, okay, so they, they can define their story. They can define their value proposition, which I think is something that I'm sure you have to help them refine because not a lot of people come. I mean, either, either I'm sure they're, they're drinking their little bit of their own, their own Kool-Aid too much, right? They, they think that their baby's beautiful as they always do, right? Or they're just like, they've never been asked those questions and they don't know like how to properly define it. So, so you help them through a process to help craft that. What, what, what do we go next? So the next thing is very clearly defining goals. And I am a stickler about the, the goal defining process because everybody comes to us and says, we want to drive new business. We want to drive new you know, advisors to our firm. We want to drive more AUM. We want to drive more platform users. And to me, that is not a goal. I want you to get granular and tell me exactly what you're trying to accomplish. And if if your end goal is you want to recruit five new advisors, like we need to figure out what that means. Like, what do you need to do to recruit five new advisors? Do you need to get in front of 20 advisors? Do you need to get in front of 100 advisors? Like what truly is the goal? If you want to drive X number of new platform users, tell me more about that. Like what types of firms do they need to be? How many advisors per firm? Like really define it. I don't want broad-based goals that you pulled out of your armpit. And then we get real about, that's is, this is where my team goes to work. We have a good sense after doing this for so long of what it takes to acquire clients in the different areas of this business and the tactics to get after it. So once you've given us your granular, thoughtful, realistic goals, we get after it and we put a plan together and we say, this is, this is what it's going to take. This is what it's going to take from your time, from your resources, from your team, and from a budget perspective. And then we talk about, is this feasible? Does this make sense? Is this something you, that you can buy into? And if so, here's the responsibilities of everybody that's going to play a role in how we get after this. Yeah. So the no surprise, ironically, an industry that's always about helping people reach their goals, sometimes doesn't take the time to define them for themselves. Um, 
<laughs> exactly. So, so you're, you're, yeah, okay. So, that, and of course, like, like kind of like my job, but differently, it's like, you're helping them quantify those things and you're putting the plan of action. So you're doing the, for lack of a better term, the, the, the marketing, the actual marketing plan, the actual map on how they're going to invade their place, their target territory to the right degree. Yeah. And I think I try to be, I hope what people would say about me and my team in this process is that we're more real than anybody has ever probably been with them. You know, I have an advisory firm a week call me and say, I've tried this and I've tried this and I've tried this. And they're naming every financial services technology provider or service provider. And they've tried everything and they're saying nothing works. And I say to them, one of two things is true. One, you didn't give it enough time to let it work. Or two, the resources and the budget and the tactics that you were putting against what you were trying to accomplish were misaligned. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's funny because I've uh, I've advised more than one, well, one advisor marketing firm in the past, uh, technology piece. And people are just like, oh, you know, it collects people, it collects leads, but it doesn't work. And my response would be like, have you followed up with them? I'm dead silence, right? It's just, there. I, I think people have gotten this misconception that, especially for, I don't know why, in this sector of, of technology, that marketing can just be fully automated and no one's got to lift a thing once they implement a software. And show me where that works, right? Like my oven's really good at cooking, at baking stuff, but I still got to put something in there in advance and take it out. And even financial planning software that has artificial intelligence and that we've talked about in the past, like you still need to work with it to craft the correct, the correct answer, right? Like, so there is no just walking away from it. And I'm guessing that's, you know, you're saying that there, what your story, I'm saying, I'm guessing there was a lot of, hey, I set this up, I let it go and I got nothing from it. So you heard it here first. I am contemplating writing a book called Advisors Really Don't Really Want Leads. <laughs> leads are work. <laughs> <laughs> because I actually, we parted ways with a firm and we're in conversations about possibly parting ways with another firm mm. who came to us and said, we want leads. We need, we, nothing has ever worked for us. We, and we put an engine in place for both of these firms. For one, we've drove double digit per month phone calls to their firm. This last, this one that we're in conversation with too, trying to figure out where we go from here. We drove in February, 18 investors raising their hand and saying, please call me. And in March through day seven, we had driven six investors who had raised their hand and said, I want you to call me. And that's a decent amount of people. And yes. right. I yeah. felt I'm, feeling, I'm I'm like on a high. Our team in the Slack channel is high-fiving each other. We're like, we're really rocking it for these clients. And then you are exactly right. Crickets, no phone calls, no follow-ups. And you know what the one that we parted ways with said to me? They said, when we get leads from our CPA partner, they just become our client. We don't have to talk them into it. They've already done that work. I almost fell out of my chair. I'm like, and then I do some self-reflection, right? I'm like, do I not explain how this works well enough? And I realize no, it's just no. that nobody wants to do any work. Well, it's the I often get frustrated, you know, especially you know, advising entrepreneurs. This I well, we'll call the hang a shingle and let them hand me money attitude. Just because you hung a shingle doesn't mean people are gonna walk in and just hand you money, right? And what they're missing on the CPA piece is the CPA had an existing relationship, an existing relationship with trust, where all they're saying is this is where you go. And that is now a transference of trust. When you're not dealing with that kind of deep relationship that someone has already, that's just never going to facilitate, never going to happen again. But also, how many CPAs are there out there that are going to be willing to enter in that kind of relationship that are going to vouch for you specifically? It does not scale. Right. I just asked them, I'm like, well, do you want an appointment setter or do you want lead generation and marketing? I'm, 
I'm yep. sorry, because they're two very different things and they're going to yield two very different results. Um, no, they, they don't want to sell as the issue. They just want people to come in and hand them money is the problem. It's mind boggling to me. I did have a moment this week where I, I had some self-reflection and just said, what am I doing? If we are seeing this much success and we're this excited about it and the folks on the receiving end are hiding. My answer, they're not hungry enough. They're not hungry enough. If they were actually hungry, they would basically be like, this is fantastic. And they'd be on the phone and be like, what, how can I help you? What is it you're interested in? What struck you about what it was that, that led you to, to reach out? Like those kinds of questions and actually trying to get to it. But no, it's just you get fat and lazy sometimes, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, the CEO of, uh, of Patagonia had the greatest saying for this. It's like, there's two ways to grow. One, you get strong, one, you get fat, right? And it's like, that's that applies. Absolutely. That's how businesses grow. You either, you either get slow or you basically get stronger. Anyway, such is life. All right. So you can generate leads. We got this. You got this. You're, you're based <laughs> yeah. back to the story. All right. So tell me about how, again, you've, you've told them how to resource everything. What's the advice you're giving them that they're following up with or not on conversion? Like how are they supposed to convert? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is everybody is is so focused on nurture, nurture, nurture. And I'm all for that. I think that that's such an important part of your marketing program. But if someone is filling something out and saying, please call me, I want to talk, you better call them that minute. You'll see me when I have leads coming through our website for Intentionally, I lead our, our company and I am the first one to find that email within five minutes and respond to somebody. Because that's what it takes to show that you're interested, to show that you want to do it, to show that you care, and to also catch them before they lose lose their... We have the attention span of goldfish. People mm -hmm. do. It's true. So they've already started doing something else, thinking about it, something else. And if you let days go by before you get back to them, it just makes no sense. So I think that's the first thing. Be, be fast and be thoughtful about your follow-up. Tina, on my team, I have to do a shout out to her. She does this better than anybody else I've ever seen. She... When somebody gets in touch with us, she learns their life. She learns their firm. She learns things that they don't even know that exist out there about them. About And she puts the most amazing emails together to show them that one, she is in it. She cares. She's paying attention. She's noticing everything. And she's not going to let any details go miss. So she, I have to give a shout out to her because she definitely does it better than anyone else. You just described my first phone call with her. <laughs> it's a little bit therapy. <laughs> yeah. She's so good. She's so yeah, good. She was great at that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So they basically, all right. So talk to me about what happens. Again, they get their sales pitch. They get it all done. Talk to me about the, the, the successes you see. And then let's let's contrast this a couple across a couple of verticals. Give me the fintech side, the, wealth, the financial services side, the individual advisor. Like, what are you seeing for those who truly embrace what you're saying and take the opportunities you're creating? What does it look like? What does it look like? It looks like, you know, it's interesting we try to track through to revenue. We try to track through to growth for all of our clients. Now, you're going to look at me and say, that's not possible for everyone. It's absolutely not. It takes a lot of effort to connect the dots from your marketing funnel to your sales funnel to your, your accounting system. So the firms that do it, I it's amazing how you can see the connectivity and how much better you can be when you can see where things are falling through the cracks and what's not working. So we have an OCIO that we are crushing it for. The difference for them is their content is super original and super interesting and very valuable to the audience that they're going after. We are crushing it for a hybrid broker-dealer RIA firm who is doing recruitment marketing. They brought on nine new recruits this 
last <laughs> week to start the year. And they're looking to grow about 200% this year because their, their content and their marketing is so authentic. And it's a magnet to people who feel similarly. We are doing phenomenally well for a few advisory firms. Like I said, we're really hitting our groove in terms of driving investor leads. It's not super easy, but I will say in that area, we are looking for firms to partner with who are going to do their part on the sales side because we feel like we're crushing it on our side and we need the follow through. So I would say, what does it look like? It looks like hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue. It looks like handfuls at a time of new recruits. And it looks like investors within your ICP that are interested in doing business with you. Excellent. So you, you mentioned content quite a lot there. So let's talk yeah. about the hook to get them. Like, you know, is this all content generation that, that is really the hook and the bait for, for these customers? How much of that is important? And if they don't have it, how do you help them craft that? Content is everything. Obviously, you have to distribute it through the right channels at the right times to the right audiences. But content is the fuel that drives everything, in my opinion. It shows your personality. It shows that you're relatable. It shows that you can solve the problems and the challenges that your target audience has. So we start with a content map that shows every stage of the buying journey. And we map any pieces of content that you have in alignment with that map. And we show you the gaps that you have as people are moving through their decision-making process and where they can't find the things that they need to move on to the next stage which is really ends up being really powerful. And we spend a lot of time building content strategies and content plans that fuel the overall demand generation plans. And I Excellent. love it when a good content marketing strategy comes into play. Like this, uh, this hybrid that I was just telling you about, they are one of my favorites and they're out of Nashville. So we've built their brand around... Their brand is... Their visual brand is based on like Nashville movie posters and... Their content marketing ties all real life advisor recruitment issues to, to music. And it's just so cool and so authentic and so fun. And those are the types of things that people flock to. I mean, they want to feel like they can relate to you, right? Well, I mean, there's, we're drowning in a sea of it, right? But at the end of the day, how much of it is high quality? And that's the problem, right? I think, you know, I will often... I will often, sometimes people will say like, look, hey, my content market is getting nowhere and they'll send me their website. I'm like, you know, this is all generic stuff. I could have Googled and landed on anyone's site. You're not saying anything to anyone here. Why you, right? I think that's, and especially with GPT chat now, I think we're going to see a supernova of nonsense content oh that is going to be, yeah, no kidding. As opposed to deep, purposeful, meaningful, and speaks to someone directly. So I'm not surprised at your answer there. I've long been a, a believer in that, that being the mechanism. So what are the... We've talked about the successes. Let's talk about the obstacles. What are the kind of mental shifts or the the changes they got to be willing to make themselves as your client in order to basically be successful? Oh man, you're opening a box here. I could do this for for days, but, <laughs> but I'll give you my top. I'll give you my top ones. I think one of the biggest ones that we we help firms realize is that their their brands are speaking to themselves instead of to the people that they're trying to attract. We have a lot of firms that come to us and it's very me, 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 me. And it's hard to get people to realize that they're adding no value to the lives of the people that they're they're trying to reach. And they're basically, their egos are basically fueling the messaging that they're putting out. So that's a- How big... much of that is fear, I mean? Like, it's like, here's the thing. Like, and I will say my, my, my business partner's listening right now, okay? All right. <laughs> this is exactly the argument we have all the time. Yeah. Has to be comfortable with it. Right. And as, as a good friend of mine, Dennis Mosley Williams, who is a, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with him, marketing guy, experienced guy. 
Well, you said it years ago, we keep saying it, get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Unless we're stretching the boundaries of what we're comfortable with, we're just speaking to ourselves, right? How much of it is them getting over that fear of, of being uncomfortable with what they're doing? So much of it. So I, my friend in the industry, Shannon Spotswood, I'm sure most of your listeners know who she is. Mm-hmm. She runs RFG Advisory. They're a, a firm out of Birmingham, Alabama, very successful. And their tagline, we work with them. Their tagline was, we are RFG. And she had to go through, and she will tell you this herself. I'm not saying anything that she wouldn't say out loud, but she had to go through a mental process to realize that that is all me. That is all about ego. That is all about who Mm. they were versus who they were trying to serve. And now they've, they've switched it up and their messaging is, you know, we're going through a massive transformation actually with them right now. And it does, it takes a minute and it's a, it is about comfort. It's also about, I feel like when you tell firms, they need to add value to the lives of the people that they're trying to reach so much of the value that they add. They're so scared to add for free because they say, that's what, that's what we charge for. That's what they pay us for. That's a, at the end of the day, like you need to be willing to give a little bit away to get a little bit. And so I think that's another thing that we, we have a lot of conversations about. Yeah. The entire, like, I think there's all this, this like this misguided concept of that's going to be abused to such a degree and then no one's going to hire them, right? And like, and don't get me wrong, there is a segment of the population who will take everything you give and just run away with it and never pay you a penny. Right. But if that's one in every 10 interactions and three in every 10 decide that, you know what? I'd rather have you do this for me. Like, right. Oh my God, win, right? Like, why let the one bitter note sour the entire strategy? It makes no sense. Right. And the fact of the matter is that if you're giving away these things and these other firms are using it, and whether they're paying you or not, they're using them. Your brand is being distributed. It's being more people are seeing it. It's so worth it. And I tell everybody the same story. So forgive me, listeners, if you've heard this out of my mouth before, but I will just reiterate it. When I started as a CMO of eMoney, I got an email from HubSpot. I think I changed my LinkedIn. They must have seen it. They said, Hey, now that you're taking over as the head of marketing and eMoney, here's 37 job descriptions that you're going to need to build a marketing team. A couple months later, they said, hey, we've gone through and we've identified the organizational charts of the top marketing teams across the country at the most successful firms. I still use those two things today when I'm building teams and having conversations about roles. And, and yes, things have changed and shifted and more their roles are a little bit different today. But I think about those couple pieces of foundational content as... I don't even know what I would have done without them. And then, you know, the third step was, hey, now you need technology to fuel the team that you put together. Why don't you use ours? And we're a HubSpot partner to this day. So I would say it, it does work. It totally works. HubSpot is like the, I'd say, guru content management piece of the original out, uh, player out there in this space. Yeah. And it's, and I think what you spoke there about is, is the longevity and the long tail of content that's good, right? Like you're using it how many years later? Right. And I still have articles I wrote in newspaper. Yeah. (laughs) Articles I wrote in newspapers. Like, yeah, not gonna tell me that's fine. But I, you know, I wrote 10 years ago that still get me the occasional phone call. And I'm just like, so it's just you put out good work, eventually it comes back to you. Right. Spot on. And okay, so then this you you ask things that the pitfalls. So the other big thing, and I I feel like I hit on this already, is you have to actually want to do the work that marketing entails. And yeah. and this is this is tough for firms. I remember, you know, when I started at Orion and having conversations with Eric Clark and it's like, all right, if we're going to do this, then you have to be willing to do interviews with the press. You have to be willing to provide a window into the innovation that we're planning to provide. We have to open up our roadmap, the doors to our roadmap. And we have conversations like this with firms all day every day. You have to be willing to put in the time. It's just not going to happen to you. You need to be part of it. 
And then part of that is the sales process. If you want success and you want us to drive you opportunities, there is a point where it becomes your job to do something with them. Hmm. And we have a lot of firms and not just advisory firms, but fintechs, asset managers that have really dropped that ball. And it's a shame because at the end of the day, then all the money that you're putting into it is, is being flushed down the toilet, right? Yeah. Nothing ruins a good marketing plan worse than a terrible onboarding process, right? Like it's, and then, and then failure to deliver, you know, my buddy had a in, in marketing and branding had a, had a boss who's, who's basically his, I think he's probably stole the saying was a brand is a promise delivered. And the initial delivery of that brand or concept of that brand is through the marketing they're doing. So if they fail to do, to deliver on that promise, you just wasted a bunch of effort building up goodwill. Yep. Completely yep. agree. Yep. So Kelly, before we wrap up, there's three questions I'd like to ask everybody to, uh, to end on a positive note. The first one is if you had one wish for something to change in your company, the industry as a whole, what would it be? Oh my goodness. The industry as a whole. So I am on a crusade to help firms realize the value of modern marketing, that it should have a seat at the table, that it should be driving strategy, and that it should be a driver of company revenue. So I would like, if I had one wish, the industry perception of what marketing is, what it can be, and what it should do would be realigned and the resources that go to it accordingly. Well, it's interesting. I think there's more than enough examples out there of, well, there's not tons of them, but there's several good examples out there of firms that have been wildly successful in content marketing, and they're reaping the benefits of that in front of the rest of the population. Everybody's like, wow, they have a great business. Yeah, well, those steps are not trademarked and they're not hard to follow. It's just, you got to commit to it. So second uh, question I have for you is, what's been the biggest challenge in the company where it is today? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I came into this a marketer, not an entrepreneur. So I'm literally figuring it out <laughs> as I go. I, You and I had had conversations about this before. I did get the advantage of watching Eric Clark over the last several years do it. And I watched him like a hawk because he's such a pro. But I would say the hardest thing is being particular about the clients that we take on because it would be really easy for us to focus on the revenue and bringing clients left and right. But it's much harder to say, no, we're not going to take that on. We're going to decline that that revenue because we know in the long run, that's a firm that we can't help. And I try really, really, really hard to stick to that because I want to work with firms who are going to benefit from the work that we're doing and that are going to play a role in it. So I would say that's the hardest thing. I hear you. I mean, but that's just like any good advisor in the industry should only really be trying to work with people who basically they can actually provide benefit to, or at least be upfront about the fact that I think I can do a lot, or I don't know that I can do a lot for you. That is, that's just knowing where your value is quite honestly. And I commend you for not, for putting that principle above just taking on another client because it's revenue. So it can be hard for some people to wrap their heads around them. And then the last question I have for you is what excites you about what it is you're working on and keeps you getting out of bed in the morning to keep on fighting the good fight? Oh my gosh. I I love to watch things grow. I love to see the success of my friends and my peers and and to be a part of it in in a small way. So I get out of bed. I mean, it's sort of a I think I'm a little bit crazy, but I our Slack channels all day. I watch when we're driving new leads, when we're bringing in new business, when we're seeing new revenue, when we're helping people sort of realize their dreams. I'm obsessed with it. You're going to have a very noisy Slack at this rate when continue. Yeah, we do. <laughs> you saw my Slack with all the companies that we're working with, you would, you would run <laughs> for sure. Oh boy. Oh boy. Excellent. Kelly, thank you so much for the time. Yeah, this has been awesome. Thanks, Jason. So that was Kelly Walchick from Insightly. Hope you enjoyed that. And if you are in the market for someone who understands the market, first and foremost, to market your business, 
then by all means, I highly suggest you check them out. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever's your podcast. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.